questions about God and money. We're going to kind of continue along that theme. Um, last week was part one of, of what was really a kind of a two-phased message or two-part message. And I called it God, Money, and Materialism. And in that message, as you know, these these a series of messages have all been sort of asking rhetorical questions and then answering them as biblically as possible. And so we dealt with some questions such as, is it possible to both follow God and make money? Is it right for Christians to have material possessions and enjoy them? Is there anything wrong with wanting things? And then finally, is money love a formula for self-destruction? And so we talked about all of those and, and we answered um, those. And so this week, we're going to kind of continue along those lines. We're going to really kind of pick up on that, that last question. Is money love a formula for self-destruction? And, and ask it in a slightly different way. And the slightly different way would be this. What are the dangers of materialism? Especially as a Christian. Okay, what, what impact does it have on us uh, and, and, and our, our walk of faith? if we are heavily into material things. So, um, you know, there are a number of examples in Scripture of people who, who get warped or destroyed by greed um, and idolatry, which is sort of along the same lines. And, you know, the Bible lists various dangers of becoming centered on money and possessions, if that kind of becomes our God. Now, what I don't want you to do is to just dismiss this as negativism. Okay, This is not a, a screed against money and having things. Um, but what I think, what I'm hoping happens is that if we really understand how dangerous materialism can be, then it essentially liberates us to experience the joys of Christ-centered stewardship. Okay, so we need to know what to avoid and what, what can happen when we sort of uh, get too far into this. So let's start to look at this. So what's the first one? Well, the number one, danger number one, is that materialism hinders or destroys our spiritual lives. <clears throat> now, in, uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus rebuked in particular the Laodicean Christians because although, <clears throat> excuse me, they were materially wealthy, they were desperately poor in the things of God. He said this, <clears throat> You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, materialism blinds us, in a sense, to our spiritual poverty. And it's a fruitless attempt to find some sort of meaning outside of God, which is the source of life and the giver of all good things. So that's danger number one. Danger number two, <clears throat> materialism is a broken cistern that can't hold water. Now, in, in, the other thing I'm doing here is I'm just sort of continuing, we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures, and I'm continuing this effort to sort of prove what I said the very first Sunday, which was there is an awful lot in the Bible about money and things and riches and all of that sort of stuff that I think so often we just kind of gloss over. 
And so, you know, when someone says, well, the Bible talks about money more than anything else, um, we kind of go, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, I'm trying to show you that it is, in fact, in there an awful lot. And so, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah was pointing out materialism's detrimental effect on a nation. And he said this, has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. You see, a life that's centered on money and possessions is not only misguided, it's self-destructive. It's not only wrong, frankly, it's stupid. And so, in stark contrast, the Christ-centered life is not only right, but it's the smart choice to make. It's one of those things that sometimes will pay off in the short run, but it always pays off in the long run. Danger number three. Materialism blinds us, blinds us to the curses of wealth. <clears throat> now, as the Israelites, if you remember the story, they were traveling in the desert after they had this miraculous escape from Egypt, which we know as the Exodus. And so as they were out in the desert, God was providing for them. He provided manna, and the people, but the people weren't satisfied. Remember the story? They said, we want meat. And so God sent them meat. And he did so in such abundance that it became a curse rather than a blessing. That's, you'll find that in Numbers uh, chapter 11. And one of life's greatest ironies, I think, is the change that occurs when a poor and humble person who walks with God is rewarded with prosperity. And, you know, I, I can't say for the um, poor and humble person, but if you just look at lottery winners, kind of the sad, sordid history of people that end up winning lots of money in the lottery, um, it just completely wrecks their lives. And if that person were a believer, a person of faith, then what happens is the person's attention just kind of gradually turns away from God. And unless that's corrected in some way, then he or she is going to ultimately be transformed into kind of a proud, rich person who ends up coming under God's judgment. Ezekiel said this to the king of Tyre, with your wisdom and understanding, you have amassed great wealth, gold and silver for your treasuries. Yes, your wisdom has made you very rich, and your riches have made you very proud. Some wonder why God still blesses with wealth <clears throat> many once godly Western nations. Perhaps the blessing is really a curse in disguise. In contrast, times of financial struggle may be God's character-building gift to all of us. In the midst of prosperity, the challenge for us as believers 
is to handle wealth so that it acts as a blessing, not a curse. I found this particularly interesting. Author John Steinbeck wrote a letter to Adelaide Stevenson, which was recorded in the January 28, 1960 edition of the Washington Post. And in his letter, Steinbeck said this. No, he didn't say that. He said this. If I wanted to destroy a nation, I would give it too much, and I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, and sick. Let that sink in for a second. If that doesn't, in some respects, describe the United States of America. If I wanted to destroy a nation, I would give it too much. And I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, sick. Danger number four. Materialism brings us unhappiness and anxiety. See this, the bait of wealth hides a hook of addiction and slavery. And so it's no wonder that Christ's statement about not storing up treasures on earth but in heaven is immediately followed by an admonition. What did he say? He said, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. See, people store up treasures on earth rather than in heaven, which, which actually is what we're going to talk about next week. So we're kind of getting away from the negative side of money, and we're going to go into the more positive aspect of this. And we're going to really sort of unpack this idea of storing up treasure in heaven next week. So that's my little a pr a prompt for that. Um, they do that <clears throat> not just because of greed and selfishness. Oftentimes, it's because of fear and insecurity. But if we're putting our hope in earthly treasures, the only thing it can really do is multiply the anxiety that we have. And you ask why? Well, because earthly treasures are so temporary and uncertain. They can't bear the weight of the trust we place in them. Right? Solomon captured a pretty profound truth in Ecclesiastes, when he said, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. See, a stockholder's hopes will rise and fall with the market. If what you treasure the very most is in a bank, and the bank fails, then your heart's probably going to fail with it. And see, in contrast, one who hopes in God will be devastated only if God fails. And God never fails. And it was kind of interesting in the, uh, on the ride um, 
to church this morning, my wife and I were talking about her boss. And um, he is... uh, (laughs) looking forward to retirement, shall we say, and he, he's a very, very wealthy guy. And he is, I mean, what he's going to be doing is pretty amazing. He's buying this amazing sailboat and they're going to sail around the world. But he's divesting himself right now of all his stuff. And I mean, this guy had antique cars, motorcycles, multiple homes, multiple boats. I mean, just sort of swimming in it. And... Um, What he told her was pretty profound. He said he has never felt freer than he does now that he's gotten rid of all that stuff. It's like we talked about last week. There's a cost that's paid, you know, and it's not only monetary, but there's a cost that's paid when we have all that stuff and we have to take care of it and we have to maintain it and we have to show it off and dust it and whatever. And so I thought that was just really interesting, uh, you know, coming on the heels of what we're talking about, that, uh, that that came up this morning. So it's pretty interesting. All right, number five, materialism ends in futility. And if you've never read it, The book of Ecclesiastes is probably the most powerful expose on materialism that's ever been written. And uh, in it, its author, Solomon, uh, who is one of history's wealthiest men, as well as the wisest, recounts his attempts to find meaning in building projects, in entertainment, in alcohol, in sex, and in possessions. And he says, among other things, he says this, I said to myself, come on. Let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I had everything a man could desire. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. But after decades as the world's richest man, Solomon said this, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was really nothing worthwhile anywhere. See, since the money God never keeps its promises, the more wealth Solomon accumulated, the more empty and meaningless his life became. And I, didn't, I don't have a slide for this, but one last quote that uh, came from, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He said this, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. See, this was not a new phenomenon. Just winning the lottery, all of a sudden friends and relatives you didn't know you had came out of the woodwork. Well, they evidently were at Solomon's door as well. He went on to say, so what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? And see, in in contrast to the emptiness that materialism presents, there's this joyful liberty that's found in Jesus. 
if you will hold tightly to the true God, it's going to loosen your grip on money, which will then loosen money's grip on you. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. And I found a video that um, I think is a pretty good reminder of just how futile materialism is. When it comes to our finances, each of us are heading in a certain direction. The problem is, most of us don't know which direction that actually is. The average American with a credit file has more than $16,000 worth of debt. And that's not even including mortgages. A typical American has 13 credit obligations. These include uh, department store cards, gas cards, bank cards, uh, auto loans, student loans, mortgage loans. A typical young adult household now spends 24% of their income on debt payment. That means a quarter of their income is spent on payments from yesterday. Total U.S. consumer debt, not including mortgages, reached $2.55 trillion in 2007. Here's the kicker though. 90% of Americans surveyed believe that they have the same amount or less debt than the typical American. I'm not talking about you though. find yourself in the bottom of a hole, it's time to stop digging. Danger number six, materialism obscures many of life's greatest blessings. What's sort of ironic in all this is that the blessings are often far more appreciated by the poor whose lives are less cluttered and distracted with material wealth. God's greatest gift of salvation is available to all, and it can't be bought with money. Isaiah wrote, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. God's Son redeemed us, freely giving himself to anyone who seeks him. In Revelation, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Money cannot buy salvation and it cannot rescue us from judgment. Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. From the book of Proverbs. Number seven, materialism spawns independence and self-sufficiency. Why bother trusting in God when you've got all your bases covered? Why pray when you have everything under control? 
Why ask God for your daily bread when you own the bakery? See, we pride ourselves on our financial independence. But where would we be without God, who gives every breath as a gift? Wealth insulates us from discerning the true depth of the need that we have. God warned his people before they even set foot in the promised land that the prosperity he intended to give them would actually turn them away from him. In Deuteronomy it says, I will bring them into the land I swore to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will become prosperous, eat all the food they want and become fat. But they will begin to worship other gods and they will despise me and break my covenant. The prophet Hosea, who was watching uh, both sort of the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms explode in this prosperity, but implode spiritually, warned. Israel has forgotten its maker and built great palaces, and Judah has fortified its cities. Therefore, I will send down fire on their cities, and I will burn up their fortresses. I have been the Lord your God ever since I brought you out of Egypt. You must acknowledge no God but me, for there is no other Savior. I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. Danger number eight, materialism leads to pride and elitism. See, the Bible's full of references that sort of prove our tendency and prosperity is to believe that we deserve credit for um, what we have, which then makes us grow proud and thankless. Psalm 27, look what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust their wealth instead and grow more and more bold in their wickedness. See, on the contrary, God is the one who's given us our intellect, our abilities, and our capacity to earn money. Jesus came to die for people of every social and economic level. And so elitism boosts our egos by making us think that we're somehow more worthy than other people. And I can't imagine that there are many more things that are more repugnant to God than the rich despising the poor. Yet, in our clubs, in our social circles, and sadly, sometimes even in our churches, we can foster this very attitude. Danger number nine, materialism promotes injustice and exploitation. The Old Testament prophets spoke out often against the oppression of the poor by the rich. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Micah also warned, the rich among you have become wealthy through extortion and violence. Your citizens are so used to lying that their tongues can no longer tell the truth. 
Rich people will usually be materialistic. So will poor people, but because they have less, usually what they have is going to exert less power over them. But we must remember that the wealthy man is no more inherently sinful than the poor. He just has more means and opportunity to fuel and impose his sin upon others. You know, we shouldn't forget that historically, not that long ago, slavery was a standard practice in America, and people in both the North and the South profited by it. But we don't have to go back 160 years or so to find notorious examples of exploitation. Consider today's profit-based abortion business, which is lucrative for the abortionist and financially advantageous to those parents who don't want to spend their time and money to care for a child or who fear they may jeopardize their careers or their house or car payments. Consider also how promoters of alcohol, tobacco, drugs, pornography, prostitution, sensationalist tabloid journalism, and in some cases, TV and movies exploit human beings for financial gain. And last, materialism fosters immorality and the deterioration of the family. See, if you start to look at the vast majority of illegal activities, what's at the root of it? Materialism. And so, you know, we shouldn't be surprised, I guess, by the frequency of immorality among Christians, and that includes Christian leaders who live in great wealth. After all, those who indulge their material appetites are not likely to curb their other appetites as well. King David, spoiled by getting everything that he wanted, did not deny himself one more possession, another man's wife. The biggest temptation for leaders, whether business, political, or spiritual, is to think that they're somehow the exception to the rule that they are entitled to certain privileges other people are not. But most forms of materialism are perfectly legal, and many enjoy the highest of status, evoking admiration and even envy. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Christians can make millions of dollars a year, give generously, live modestly, and avoid much of the temptation to act immorally faced by a lot of wealthy people. It's not how much money we make that grabs hold of our hearts. It's how much we keep. And the last question we're going to look at today is this one. So how do we battle materialism in Christian families? Scripture states that it's the responsibility of parents, and I will add, and grandparents, to provide for their children. For Christians to choose not to provide for their children or truly needy relatives is to deny the faith and become worse than an unbeliever. However, it's one thing to provide for our children. It's quite another thing to smother them with possessions until they turn into self-centered materialists. An alarming number of children from Christian homes grow up grasping for every item that they can lay their hands on. 
Children who are raised in such an atmosphere, which includes most children in America, are inflicted with a killer disease called affluenza. <laughs> children raised in wealth show many symptoms of those raised in abject poverty, including depression and anxiety. Isn't that interesting? Let me say that again. Children raised in wealth show many symptoms of those raised in abject poverty, including depression and anxiety. They experience despair, sometimes attempting suicide. They turn to alcohol, drugs, and shoplifting. Their parents are often so busy making money and spending it that they have little meaningful time with their children. They can give them everything that money can buy, but money can't buy what is truly precious. probably step on some toes here, but consider the typical American Christmas. When the, ab when the annual obstacle course through crowded malls accumulates on the big day, what's the fruit? We find a trail of shredded wrapping paper and a pile of broken, abandoned, and unappreciated toys. Far from being filled with a spirit of thankfulness for all that Christmas means, children are often grabby, crabby, picky, sullen, and ungrateful, precisely because they've been given so much. Things that we would have deeply appreciated in small and moderate amounts become unappealing in excess. As a man who's, who's gorged himself at a banquet finds the thought of food repulsive, one glutted with material things loses his regard and respect for them. The prevalent disrespect of children for their possessions and those of others is a direct result of overindulgence. Children who grow up getting most of what they want have a pretty predictable future, and it's not pretty. Unless they learn to overcome their upbringing, they'll misuse credit, default on their debts, and be poor employees. They'll function as irresponsible members of their family, their church, society. They'll be quick to blame others, pout about misfortunes, and believe that their family, church, country, and employer, if they have one, all owe them. Parents and grandparents who spoil children out of love should realize that by overindulging them, they are essentially performing acts of child abuse. Although there are no laws against such abuse, no man-made laws anyway, the spiritual mistreatment may result in as much long-term personal and social damage as the worst physical abuse. Okay, so let's bring it down for a second. So you may have sat here and you've listened and you've heard what I've said about materialism and about greed, and you still insist, well, that's just, that's not really a problem for me. Well, it turns out that studies and polls have discovered that you are not unique in that regard. The Zogby Company conducted a large benchmark poll <clears throat> in which respondents identified greed or materialism 
as the number one most urgent problem in American culture. Poverty and economic justice finished in second place. In 2014, Vanity Fair did a poll and 78% of Americans disagreed with the famous Gordon Gecko quote, greed is good, from the movie Wall Street, if you saw that. Only 19% agreed that greed was good. And then a recent poll of economist readers asked, what is the deadliest sin and greed ranked number one? But, surprisingly, Although everyone thinks greed is a terrible problem, most people don't think they're greedy. When the BBC conducted a poll on the seven deadly sins, which are anger, envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, and sloth, greed was last on the list in the answer to two questions. Which sin have you ever committed? And which sin have you committed in the past month? Plenty of the British copped to being lazy, proud, envious, angry, lustful, but greedy, seventh out of seven, last on the list. Pastor Tim Keller said this, even though it is clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost no one thinks it's true of them. Greed hides itself from the victim. Now, I realize that <laughs> these last two weeks have not been a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, and it's, we're, we're, we're at the bottom, we're going to start hitting back up the hill <laughs> next week. We've talked about the bad stuff as it relates to God and money, and now we're going to start to talk about the good stuff. Um, so bear with me on this. But I think this is really important. Um, this is such, this is so prevalent in our society and it is such a, I guess, an ignored aspect of things. Um, and I mean, those polls pretty much prove it that, you know, we, we can look at someone and say, boy, they really are greedy. But we never look at ourselves and, and think that. So just as last week, I asked you to uh, consider something as a way to sort of make this personal in your life. And if, if you weren't here, what I said was, um, we were talking about materialism last week. And so uh, my challenge was to pick one thing that you spend money regularly on that you could do without. And take that money and use it for kingdom purposes, right? I said you could give here, could support some other ministry. You could give it to Josh. Uh, <laughs> whatever you know, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, you know, just take that and do something else with it. All right. Well, here's the challenge for this week. One other little fact that I came across in the course of preparing this was that do you know what one of the largest business, growing businesses in this country is? Storage facilities. Storage facilities, because people have so much stuff that they can't keep it all in their homes, so they've got to rent someplace at an extra cost to take the stuff that won't fit in their house and put it somewhere else. That just kind of blew me away. 
So here's the challenge. Go home, and over the next week, find something that you own that you can get rid of. Sell it, get on eBay, you're going to get rid of Josh. <laughs> All right, well that might be a little extreme for the rest of you, but we are not advocating getting rid of your kids, okay? Uh, something, some material possession, maybe I didn't say that quite right, it's misinterpreted there, but some material possession that Maybe it was something that you just thought you had to have in the moment, but now it just sits there. And, and, and get rid of it. Sell it. You know, eBay is pretty easy to use. Put it, add in the paper. You know, give it away maybe. You know, but the point is, do something to start to maybe divest yourself, your life, from all of the stuff that is cluttering it up. Um, you know, like I said, this testimony from, from Sally's boss is, is pretty amazing. I mean, because this guy's got more money than he's got sense, I think. Um, and yet, you know, he admitted to feeling so much freer once he was getting rid of all this stuff. And I've got to believe the same thing would happen with us. I mean, what's sort of interesting is you talk to someone who is um, about to sell their house, okay? The realtor comes over and they go, ooh, this is way too cluttered. You know, you need to get rid of all this stuff so that it looks bigger, you know, so when somebody comes in. So um, talk to somebody who's done that and, and see if they don't admit to liking the space so much better once that happens. Because it's taken all this extraneous stuff out that they don't really need or use, you know. So your mission, should you choose to accept it. And I will um, point out that Mr. Phelps never once declined a mission. For those of you who watched Mission Impossible with me long, long ago um, and know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if not, see me later and I'll explain. You can go to TV land and maybe find it. But anyway, identify something that you, know, you could get rid of. Because I suspect that if you'll do that, then it might lead to, you think, well, I've actually felt pretty good. Now maybe I could, I could probably get rid of that too. And see where that all leads. And if you don't start to feel a little bit you know, more free. Now, as Andre has often said, this is not, this is not license for husbands to, to get rid of their wives' things or for wives to get rid of their husbands' things, all right? Deal with your own stuff. That's why I said what I said. I was afraid that was where this was going to end up if I didn't say something. So it's like you can't go into the closet and go, oh, look at all this stuff we could get rid of. I'm sure she doesn't need this many shoes. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> or what? Oh, <laughs> oh, no, no. No, I actually think guitars are okay. They're kind of... <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, if, if we could, let's uh, let's hit the lights, and uh, Laney's going to start to play, and uh, just have a time of worship. If you, uh, I'd like to invite those who are available to come up and pray. Anybody who got prayed for that earlier, that now the pain is totally gone. Be honest. We don't we don't want courtesy. We want honesty. All right, well, if you still have pain, then these are the people to come see. And I said, yeah, these. Um, I saw you raise their hand, so I'm going to watch and see if you all come up and get more prayer. No, I won't watch. So let's, uh, let's pray. You are, uh, as we say every week, you are welcome to stay and worship. You're welcome to stay and get prayer. You're welcome to stay and sit. If you like, um, or you're welcome to leave. It's up to you. So let me uh, pray a benediction on us. We'll be through for the day. So Father, I I thank you for the, the words that your book speaks to us about the danger of things and of money and of greed and the lure of riches and the idolatry that it causes. Lord, open our eyes that we may see the areas in our own life where we just have too much. Show us how to live more simply and and more free as we depend more and more on you. Give you thanks, Father God, that even in the midst of all our collecting and hoarding of stuff and things, that your love never fails. Even when we turn away, you will never leave us or forsake us. So we give you thanks and praise for that. Bless these, your people, as they leave this place today. Give them opportunities to go and to be Jesus to somebody else this week. Let them bring a testimony back as to what that felt like. So we give you thanks and praise in all things. And I ask this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you all. Have a terrific week, and I hope to see you next week.